Hey guys, it's been a while since we talked about what our purpose is here with this podcast. Actually, have we ever really talked about it more than Jim's short statement at the very beginning of our series about why he had created the course he was teaching about race in the first place? Well, we did recently talk about the question of why three white folks are doing this podcast Mm. in the episode where we talked about the protest about George Floyd's death. That's true. And we made the point there that it is important for white people to think and talk and act about race. Otherwise, we just reproduce inequalities that make race a problem only for people who aren't white in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point to lead with, Jim. White people certainly do need to be talking about race. But how about like why we take the particular approach that we do in this podcast, detailing the whole long history of race and science and racism? So why do we do this podcast? Well, how can anything get better if you don't know what it is that you're getting better from? And Mm -hmm. to understand scientific racism, you have to go back to the institutionalization of slavery in the Latin West. And we've done that in some of our episodes already. Like in our episode on 16th century race in Mexico and 19th century race in Brazil and the one about slavery and black bodies. And of course, it's the subtext of almost every episode outside of the miniseries Joe did on race and caste in India. I think one of the key takeaways from that period of time is that really over the last five centuries of Western history, we've built up this really terrible paradox. Oh, you mean the whole all men are created equal thing except for slaves? Right, except for slaves and except for the Aboriginal peoples who were already inhabiting much of the world. And many of them had more melanin in their skin than the European colonists. The real source of the paradox, though, is that the religious foundations of Western Christianity that were the bedrock of the colonizing and the enslaving societies, insisted that everyone was created and valued by God. Right. And even when Europeans began to rebuild all those traditions around newer foundations of the Enlightenment that said things like, all men are endowed with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all that stuff, they really didn't challenge those deep and, and that sort of horrible paradox that's at its core. Slavery and colonization are in conflict with both the older religious and the newer Enlightenment projects. Exactly. How can you say like all men are created equal in the image of God, but then enslave some and kill others, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in order to deal with this kind of cognitive dissonance, the enslaving societies like the British Empire and the French Empire, and of course, eventually the United States, they needed to continually reinforce two things in particular. First, the black and brown people's minds were inferior or not fully developed or not even fully human. And Mm -hmm. and secondly, that black and brown bodies could actually be superior to white bodies, but in an animal-like way, the kind of qualities that would give you good labor or Mm -hmm. resistance to pain, and maybe even the irrational things like music or dance. In other words, both Natives in the Americas and also the West Africans that were brought to the U.S. have been increasingly described as beast-like in those early times. Happy-go-lucky, resistant to pain and disease, but they can't think very well. In places where the labor of non-white bodies became the basis of the economy, the subjugated status of black and brown bodies meant they weren't a real threat to white authority. And when they were, the crackdowns were swift and severe. Absolutely, which is why when you learn about things like slave rebellions or native uprisings, you find death counts like 
maybe a dozen white slave owners being killed, but like 300 to a thousand slaves and natives being tortured and executed in retribution. Yeah. It's, it's because inferior animals like that deserve that kind of vengeance. That was the thought lest they get these uppity ideas, which is why that word was used. And unfortunately now is still used uppity is literally telling the black and the brown laboring beasts to stop pretending that it's a full fledged man. It's it's also why you can have white slave owners talking about how close they are to their slaves, how good life is for the enslaved. It's how you would talk about your dog or your cat that you somehow save from having a hard life fending for itself in the wild. Exactly. But but in the US, the further north you went, the less you saw of treating blacks like animals and the more you see reactions about their foreignness and disgust in them, like the disgust that was expressed by Louis Agassiz, the Swiss scientist and later Harvard dean, when he first encountered Africans at a hotel in Philadelphia in the mid-19th century, as we discussed way back in our episode on polygyny and monogyny. Like three years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the inferiority part of this sort of response to the paradox, and we've got the disgust part. And from sort of a contemporary cultural studies perspective, people are not really allowed to express the disgust part anymore, right? That's not politically correct to do so. And even now, like white people will go to great lengths to show how they aren't disgusted by black culture by openly appropriating like clothes, music, food, ways of speaking. Yeah. And this is what people mean when they say, I'm not racist. Right. Right. They mean they're not acting out of disgust against people of other races. But... I would argue that as a society, we've dealt much less with the inferiorization side of the problem, right? So we have this weird situation where you can admire black and brown athletic and musical achievements all you want, but the whole like, quote, shut up and dribble sentiment is all too common. And it's sort of this echo of the inferiorization part of racism. That's a really good point, Joe. And I think that's what we've really been trying to do. That's the intervention that we're trying to make with this podcast. The the stress on the biological unity of all humans is one of the ways to undercut a major pillar of that inferiorization argument. Because Mm -hmm. if we are all the same biologically, and you still see deficiencies in educational achievement and income and wealth gaps and stuff, well, then those have to be explained as originating in something other than the biological racial essence of one kind or another. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And in anthropology, we teach that those gaps are socially constructed, not essential, right? They're cultural, they're political, they're economic, but they're not biological. And from a perspective that views race and racism as socially constructed and structurally maintained through things like government and public spaces... And don't forget policing in the legal system. Right. Yeah, super relevant right now, yes. From that perspective, it's not surprising that people who dislike the implications of of having to reorganize society to be less racist keep holding up racial essentialism and then highlighting disparities between races where they can sort of rebrand this inferiorization argument. Without the direct disgust part, though, it almost looks non-racist in a way. Uh, Yeah. Or it can fly under the radar a bit more easily, I guess. And the fight against racial essentialism, that belief that race is an innate biological quality, is the reason that we focus so much attention on the biological side, 
like in our episodes about race and the human genome project or athletics or DNA ancestry. Yeah, that you're yeah, that's really well put. It's it's not enough to say that race is socially constructed and then leave out the part that we tell people why it's socially constructed. This is a point that's just been reinforced for me in reading Adam Rutherford's new book, How to Argue with a Racist, which goes nicely with the last episode that we dropped about scientific racism. Yeah, and we've all worked hard to make that case in our classroom, so I feel like it's really important that it comes through in the podcast, too. I agree. If people can come away from a series knowing why race is not biological and understanding the complex historical effects of race on modern people of color, I guess we should be happy campers. So if you're new to our podcast or if you've listened along since the beginning, this is why we're putting this out there and hopefully it helps. 